This message was recorded February 25, 2024. The speaker is David Simpson. Now we take our Bibles and we turn to the book of Isaiah. Both hours today we will be in Isaiah. Why don't you look with me please in Isaiah 52. We're in this section, if you'll remember, from verse 13 of chapter 52 to the end of chapter 53, which is verse 12. That goes together. So when they divided these chapters up, they decided to put the beginning of chapter 3 where it says, Who hath believed our report? But it probably should have been back here at verse 13. So I want to read verse 13, 14, and 15. So look, please, in your Bible where it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And as many were astonished or astonished at thee, his visage was more marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which he hath not done hath not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now we're going to work on a little part of verse 13. And then, the Lord willing, in our next hour, we'll get through verse 14. Not through 15, but we'll make it through verse 14, I do believe. So look with me, please, and let me give you kind of a reminder of where we are. Last week, we talked about the first three words, Behold, my servant. So we talked about this servant that is here, and he is called the suffering servant. So you've heard that phrase and that's one reason that I think that it would be better to have begun right here because he mentions the servant and then the servant and all of his suffering is what goes before it. Now, Isaiah prophesied during the reign of four kings. Those four kings in Judah are given to us in the very first chapter and the very first verse. The call of Isaiah to the Lord and to preach is recorded for us in the sixth chapter and it is believed by authorities that that would have been 740 B.C. So remember, time is going backwards. So 740 B.C. And we know that his ministry lasted at least 39 years, which will take us down to 701. However, it is also believed by many that his ministry lasted another 20 years, which would take it down to 681. If that is the case, then his ministry would have been a total of about 60 years. So he was an aged man by the time his life ended. How did his life end? We don't know for sure. But tradition says that the verse in Hebrews 11.37, where it refers to many sawn asunder, that he was among a group of people who were sawed in half by wooden saw. That would have been pretty dull. And that would have been a painful, painful thing. So to take this old man because they didn't like what he was saying and to cut him in half. Uh, when you think that politics is an honorable thing, you might want to think again because that is exactly what brought him to the end of his life. But in his early years, we can see that in his preaching time that Judah developed into a very strong commercial and military state. 
And the king that was the most, that was favored by him, and when he started, was the king Uzziah. And he reigned actually for 52 years at the end of his ministry that Isaiah begins to preach. During this time, there was a great deal of prosperity and there was strength, the greatest that there had been since the time of Solomon, which was about 200 years before that time. And they developed uh, many walls to go around the city. And so towers and fortifications and a large army and was very successful during this period of time. We received a response, a Facebook person that's asking to explain in a Sunday school way why we would have walls at the border. Well, if you know the Old Testament, the whole range of time after they entered into the land under Joshua, that would have been about 1400, 1450 BC. It was all about protecting their land and all the way down to the time of Christ, they were constantly trying to protect their land. But finally, a major army like the Romans had invaded and they were not able to protect themselves. So if you wanted to know in a Sunday school way, if you would study your Bible, you would know that they were a country and as a country, they were trying to defend themselves. But with all of this and all of this great progress that they had made, and trade that had come, there also came greed and oppression and materialism. The temple revenues greatly increased, but the morality of the people greatly decreased. The religion was known for its formality and for its corruption and its doctrinal ignorance. The temple priests and the trained prophets were predominantly mouthpieces. Listen to this verse that it speaks of them in the 30th chapter, verse 9 and 10. It says that this was a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, that's the prophets, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, make us feel good, make us feel good, make us, make us happy. So it's into this atmosphere, this atmosphere of ignorance and rebellion against God's character, His righteousness, that Isaiah entered to preach the gospel of sin put away and righteousness declared in connection with God's suffering servant. And in the prophecy, Isaiah is spoken of as an instrument of God. Israel, the nation, is spoken of as an instrument of God, the king of Persia, Cyrus, is spoken of as an instrument of God. Each of them are his servants. And how can you say that? Well, it is because God is sovereign and each of them are pointing to God's true servant, God's elect servant, the one and only sinner's suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And what did the Jews do when their true Messiah came? Well, of course, they killed him. And so they have been without their Messiah and remain without their Messiah and will never have him. Do not follow after those who think the world is going to become a place where the Jewish nation all turns to Jesus Christ. That is not going to happen. Now I want you to go with me to the New Testament. And I want to take a few minutes before we actually come back and talk about the passage. 
And I want to show you seven places in the New Testament where Isaiah 53 is pointed out as speaking of Christ. So go with me. Keep your place here. But I want you to go with me to Matthew 8, please. Matthew chapter 8. In verse 4, here in Isaiah 53, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. If you look in chapter 8 and 17, it says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Well, this verse is referring back to Isaiah 53. Now, if you're in the New Testament, go with me to the next book, which is the Gospel according to Mark, and look in the 15th chapter. In verse 12 of Isaiah 53, it says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So what do we see in Mark chapter 15 and verse 28? The scripture was fulfilled, which said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So many times through the New Testament, we're finding it saith. Then I want you to go with me to Luke and look in chapter 22. And look please in verse 37. In 53, 12, where it refers to him being numbered among the transgressors. And look here in verse 37. I think this is a very important verse. So Luke 22:37. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. So there's no salvation until he accomplishes this. No righteousness to justify, no iniquities to be taken away, no remission of sins must yet be accomplished in me. And I quotes Isaiah 53:12, and he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me, Jesus says, have an end. And that word end is that same word that he uses in John chapter 30, where he says it is finished. These things have an end. In verse 1 of Isaiah 53, it reads, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now in John 12 and 38, this is John speaking, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Then go with me to the next book, the book of Acts. And go please to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, and now this comes from Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8, where it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And he was taken from prison, or I'll explain when we come to this. He was taken away by oppression and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. So this incident in Acts 8 is the incident where the Ethiopian eunuch 
is riding along and he is reading from Isaiah. So if you'll look in chapter 8 of Acts and verse 28, he was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. So Philip ran thither to him, ran quickly, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said to him, Do you understand what you read? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. And in verse 7, that's where that comes from. Before his shears is dumb, and he opened not his mouth. Then go on with me to the book of Romans. And go to chapter 10, please. In verse 1, again in Isaiah 53, Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And in Romans 10:16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? One more. Go with me all the way to the book of 1 Peter. So keep going to your right. Pass the book of Hebrews. If you come to Hebrews and then pass the book of James and then to 1 Peter. And look in chapter 2. In verse 5 of Isaiah 53, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. And what does He say here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24? Who His own self bare our sins in His body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. And now he quotes Isaiah 53, 5, by whose stripes you are healed. All right, so that gives you the seven places in the New Testament. I don't know if that's the most of any. I didn't check that out, but it's probably pretty close to as many quotes of any particular place. Isaiah 53 was very, very important to them. You remember last week we talked about the little shepherd boy who in 1947 found some pots and in those pots they had a whole library and among those was the whole book of Isaiah and Isaiah 53 is there. So now I want us to turn our attention here to Isaiah 52. So back here to our text and we're going to look at a thought in verse 13. There are six truths that are given in this little section here from 13 down through 53.1. That all goes together. From 13 to 53.1 goes together. But he says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. I want to talk with you about what it means about this idea of prudently. First of all, the word deal is not in the Hebrew Scriptures. There is no word for deal. But the truth that is being given here is it's talking about his work or his reign. My servant shall reign prudently. My servant shall work prudently. And the sum of this phrase is in this word prudently. So how is this word used? Well, eight different times the word is translated by the word prosperous. 
So in the New American Standard Bible, it reads, Behold, my servant will prosper. So it's like saying that it will not fail. And then 12 times this word is translated wisely. In the Young's literal translation, Lo, my servant doth act wisely. And the New International Version, My servant shall act wisely. So again, those two use that word wisely. So I look at those because that gives a flavor of what the translations say. And one uses the word prosper and one uses the word wisely. But it's like saying the Messiah's actions and his work will be the wisest and the best that it could possibly be for his chosen sinners. So my servant shall work wisely and what he does is going to be a prosperous thing. Now, when you and I think of prosperity, we think of prospering in money or prospering in houses and lands and cars and clothes. That's what it is to be prosperous. But he's talking about a spiritual prosperity. He's talking about the prosperity of his saving work being the ultimate issue of Christ and his suffering. And he's right on the cusp of describing and declaring and defining what this suffering is all about. So he begins with the truth of this prosperity. And if you'll look down in the 53rd chapter, down to verse number 10, and look at the very last line in verse 10, and what does it say? It says, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So he began with this idea of prosperity, and he's going to conclude with the truth or the idea of prosperity. So this whole unit is talking about the prosperity of Christ in his suffering. And that is a very important truth to grasp. So these go together. Now we saw before when we studied in Isaiah 42 in verse 4 that it says, He shall not fail nor be discouraged. He's not going to fail any sinner for whom he came. If he came to make salvation for every man, that everyone's going to be saved. If he came to make it for a limited number of people, then those are going to be saved. If he came to make it possible for everybody to be saved, but then left it up to the sinner, then the sinner is actually the sovereign one in salvation and not God. But what we're hearing here is nothing about the prosperity having to do with man, but it all has to do with the prosperity of Christ and his cross. In Isaiah 55 and verse 11, when we come to that, we'll see, so shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So he sent it to save everybody, then it would have saved everybody. But God's word is telling us that his word is going forth with power and persuasion. So when I look in the book of Isaiah, that's what I find. What about when I look outside of the book of Isaiah? Well, we read of a passage this morning, and that a wonderful passage in Genesis 39 that Brother Randy read to us, 
Joseph being a type of Christ. And what does it say of him? It says that his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. The same word is being used. And that is because there was prosperity at the hand of Joseph as there's prosperity in the hand of Christ. I'll give you another type of Christ. What about a man named Joshua? The name Joshua is that same Hebrew name for the name Jesus into the Greek language. And Joshua 1.7 says, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper wheresoever thou goest. So we have two men. There is Joseph and there is Joshua. Now the apostle in Hebrews, I could give you others, but in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, declare the prosperity and the success and the accomplishment of Christ. So it says, for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So think about it. While he was on the cross, what he did was so successful, so prosperous, so complete, that he hath perfected forever, not just the salvation, not just the plan, but them who are sanctified. And that word sanctified means to be set aside. So I'll just give you some verses without us looking at him. His suffering occurred only once, according to Hebrews 6 and 6. His suffering purged sin at once, according to the opening verses of Hebrews and also in chapter 7, 26 and 27. And his suffering redeemed but once, according to Hebrews 9 and 12 and 26 to 28. What Christ accomplished at, by, through, in connection with the cross is the weightiest matter of the gospel. That's why we spend so much time on it. The truth of the gospel is the hub of the will of all soteriology or all salvation doctrine. Where did it begin? It began in the body of Jesus Christ and it was accomplished on the cross. So he is our wisdom that was prosperous in all that he did. How did Paul put this together in 1 Corinthians 1 and 30? He says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who God made unto us wisdom, the first word wisdom, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, let him that glories glory in the Lord. So you're not glory in your works. You're not going to glory in your deeds or decisions or your professions, but you're going to glory in Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is the personification of wisdom. He is the perfection of wisdom. And His work was so complete that He exhausted all the charges that were against His people. He earned a perfect righteousness that God accepted and God accounted to His people. And by that means... We know that salvation is outside of ourselves and it rests altogether in what Christ accomplished.